C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Ergy. And I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. Oh my god, Maddie. So excited. This is... Can, can you even believe what this is? I can't. I was mentioning to a friend and they were like, wow, I can't even believe. Yeah. So should we tell our listeners what today is? Well, it's two things. It's our two-year anniversary, a little late, but nonetheless. So, yes. And also our 100th episode. 100 episodes. Can you Woo-hoo. believe? So yeah, excited. I, I really can't. Um, I know. I'm like, what did I talk about for all of those episodes? I don't even remember. I, I mean, really, it's like it's hundreds of hours of content. It's and, crazy. Um, it's crazy. And I just want to say, Maddie, I, I feel like I did the same thing last year, but you are such an incredible uh, creative and project partner to work with on this and I just love you and you're so smart and talented and you really keep things running so I wanted to publicly thank you for that thanks just showering me with compliments I mean likewise I think it's a testament to our friendship and our working relationship that we've been able to sustain this for so long at such a what I would say self-congratulatory high level of content and you know getting so many different guests and guests that have come on multiple times that obviously trust us to tell their stories. So I'm really glad that we've been able to sustain not only a business relationship, but a friendship and that we don't want to murder each other, which would be very sad. I completely agree. That would really take a lot of joy out of my life. I know. Um, so it's really interesting uh, as we were doing our prep for this 100th episode special, uh, there was an article that came out in the New York Times that was titled, Have We Reached a Peak Podcast? And Maddie and I both read it and it made me so proud of us when I, I read this because basically it talked about how people have flooded the podcast market because they thought it was like an easy marketing tool to get big money and et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then only less than 20% of new podcasts would introduce a new episode after three months. So basically most podcasts don't last after their kind of initial run. Um, and, And I just love that we've last so long. Our intention was never to make money or get sponsors or whatever. And, and we've always been, content driven. Um, I also love, and this is another compliment to Maddie, I feel like our standard of production is so high. Oh um, well, compared to so the beginning, podcasts. for sure, we've gone, I listened to the old well, episodes yeah. and I'm like, we've come a long ways for sure. We have come a long way. Um, but I also think I, like I was, I'm always very excited, like an, an author I love or whomever will come out with a podcast. And I'll be like, I can't wait to listen to it. And these people, you know, they've got thousands of thousands of people that follow them so their production is going to be awesome and then half the time I have to turn the podcast off because it's actually hurting my ears so I'm just really proud of us for that and then you know I think we've collected this really incredible roster of stories of millennials and millennials are communities um, and it's really helped me I, I know feel kind of more connected to my generation and to our world 
and it's really affected my professional work in a profound way. So um, I don't know. I'm just really grateful to us, I guess. I know. It's great. Hashtag blessed. Yes. And thank you to all of our guests who have come on and a lot of them have shared and similarly to last um, year, which we'll go into, we pulled some clips from this year that we thought were particularly good and interesting. Um, But a lot of people, like I said, have come on multiple times and we've had people that, you know, have shared things that they haven't really shared super publicly before and have come to my super professional recording studio in uh, my bedroom, still still there like the beginning, um, or Skyped in or whatever. And, you know, one of the things about that article that really resonated with me, and I think that they were trying to be negative about this aspect, and I actually find it to be a positive that, you know, I think putting out a podcast as a sort of amateur, like we are, you know, you're not going to make money at it. Once in a blue moon, something like My Favorite Murder, Guys We Fucked, takes off, but that's few and far between. Um, But it is a great way to bring people into your home in an intimate setting and meet friends. And they brought that up in the article that like a lot of interview style podcasts just do it for the host's to expand their community. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good thing. I like connecting with people and I like putting stories out there. And it has been personally gratifying and rewarding to, you know, have kind of an excuse, so to say, not, you know, that I'm using this podcast to make friends or anything, but it's a good, it's a good way to connect and expand your social circle. And I think we've also connected former guests with each other and with other people in our more extended social network. And it's just made, you know, the community that much stronger. So, um, I really like that. And I think that's a special thing that only podcasts have because it is a, you know, relatively, I don't think it's cheap. I think we've actually put a substantial amount of money and time, certainly, and effort into this. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there has to be some reward at the end of the day. And I think we do have a, a small but loyal following. I think that there are people I know personally that listen week after week. And it's not just one person. It's not just my mom, although... I know she's one of our more loyal fans. Um, Thank you, Marianne. And that's very nice. I mean, if if there were literally zero people or if we, you know, I always joke that we'd love to get haters eventually. I think that would be a sign that we're taking off um, outside of our one-star review on iTunes, RIP. Um, But, you know, people are always super positive and, you know, especially when I hear about, you know, a friend or something that I didn't think was listening to every episode Mm -hmm. and then I see them after a while and they're like oh well you said such and such thing on the podcast so I know that they're they're out there and they're listening and you know they might not be the most vocal or you know be posting on social media or whatever but you know we're still part of their lives every week so it's been very great yeah I love that and I just really we are so grateful to our listeners and to the those of you who who do tune in or who only tune in when they see a particular guest who interests them um Everyone who listens to this podcast, we are are truly, truly grateful for you. And please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, We said this in our last episode. We are diving into our, you know, next set, our fall kind of season, if you want to call it. So we are up for any suggestions. And we want to make this um, something that you continue to make this something that you want to listen to because our about... I don't know, what did we decide? We get about 150 to 300 listeners a week. And we yeah. really want to help tailor this podcast um, to the stories that you 
you want to hear. Um, so let us know. Uh, hello at campadulthood.com or DM us. Well, basically Maddie because she does all the hard work um, at camp underscore adulthood on Instagram or Twitter. Yeah, And we have definitely, you know, every email we read and a lot of times we'll talk about it if it's appropriate on the podcast. And we have had, you know, strangers reach out on Instagram and stuff um, who we've invited to come on the podcast who have had an interesting story. So yeah. that's definitely a great avenue. So uh, we have chosen uh, or curated four clips uh, from the past year of stories that really resonated with us and resonated with our listeners. So we're going to share those with you and uh, give you a little recap of why we've chosen these particular moments. Great. So the first one, we can just dive right into it, was the episode with Olivia Christian. And we'll say when we release this in the show notes, we'll put the link to the episode that the clips are from in case you didn't get to listen to the full thing the first time. So with Olivia, um, she did a workshop that I saw at the Girl Boss Rally, and I invited her to come on because of that. And I just love the workshop, and the clip kind of goes through what the workshop is and if you're interested she does the workshop publicly and she can also come to your office and do it so definitely reach out to her she's awesome um but i thought the reason why i picked this clip in particular was because she talks about kind of the grit and tenacity that she had with girl boss to get on the stage and what she did they kind of reached out to her initially to write an article but then she really really pushed them and followed up and continued to follow up and set her intentions to be on the stage that I ultimately saw her at. And I just thought it was very inspiring. Yeah. And I love her, you know, her whole own your story platform is, is very powerful and very effective. Um, but I love how, and Olivia's short, the little clip that we have today really demonstrates this of how important it is to ask for what you want and ask for it loudly and consistently. And I just really love Olivia and thank her for being, I mean, an inspiration to me anyway. So, yes. So here's the clip of Olivia Christian. I really think of own your story as a blessing, the impact it has had on attendees it's beyond what I thought. Like, I just love doing it. And I was encouraged to share it. Um, after sharing at a, at a conference in 2017, a number of women came up to me and they're like, you should really do this for a living. And I've been sharing it for years with clients when they would get new interns or board members, being able to talk about what you do and why you do it, why it's important to you I'm on the emotional level. Not just like, I went to school for this and then I worked here, but like, why? And what do you want the audience to gain um, from you sharing your story? Are you looking for subscribers, followers, clients, customers, whatever that is? Um, when I go through the workshop, I make sure that women really name it. They own what it is they want because they don't know what resources are in the room. And um, so, again, I, I've been sharing it with clients. And when I shared it at a conference just for women in, in 2017, they were like, you should do this more purposefully. And I decided to not talk myself out of a compliment <laughs> <laughs> and um, was like, all right, how do I find women all over the country and share this? That's and that's awesome. what I've been doing, getting on airplanes and going wherever they'll have me. That's awesome. awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about um, the framework of the Own Your Story workshop and, and what the message is that you tell your participants? So the methodology that I learned uh, years ago when I went to a workshop was, a, was really focused on bringing your whole self 
to a conversation. So I train people in creating a personal brand story that's no longer than three minutes because the world is ADD and no one wants to hear everything you've ever done in your entire life. You start drifting off when someone's like, and then I did this and then I did that. So we just try to zero in on your inspiration point, your spark, um, whatever it was that got you on your current path and then what you're trying to achieve. And I walk folks through slides to kind of pull out those details so it humanizes you. Mm -hmm. As I said earlier, you know, like we all have a LinkedIn profile or we all have a college degree or we went to this school and we have these jobs, but what makes you different? And um, that's what I try to help people really pinpoint and acknowledge. And sometimes it can be really emotional. Yeah. When people really give themselves the time to think about, again, where they've been, where they're going and how they were initially inspired to pursue a particular job or personal development skill or whatever that is. So there have been peers at workshops. Um, there have been like, oh my gosh, I forgot that thing happened to me moment at that work at workshops too. And I'm addicted to doing it because every time I do it, it's different. The stories are different, um, but the vibe is always amazing. And so that's why I'm willing to get on planes as often as possible and do it again. I love that. Yeah. I found like going to the girl boss rally and I know you had mentioned during that workshop, it was a sort of shorter, more truncated version of the full workshop that you do. But even with the shorter amount of time, it was it was real. I I really enjoyed the framework of having kind of the three part inspiration inflection point. Have some very specific details, and then asking for something at the end. I thought was so. It's it seems so simple, but it's so important. Of like, if you're going through this three minute exercise of telling someone about yourself, like what are you asking for? Are you asking for a job? Are you asking for followers? You kind of alluded to it when we first started recording. And Shay and I have talked about this with the podcast. Like, obviously, this isn't our full-time job, and but, you know, we take it really seriously and we want it to be high quality and we approach people who we don't know, who we've never met. And, you know, there is a tendency to downplay it and be like, ah, oh, it's just a side project, like whatever, when you're meeting someone and talking about it but it's like no when you're explaining it and explaining why the podcast is important and where it came from you should also have that piece at the end of what you're asking people for so I really thought I really liked the sort of three-prong approach I thought it was really nice and digestible um, I did wonder though how you kind of came to be at the girl boss rally you had kind of alluded to it at the end of the pro the process of mm -hmm. you know how much grit that took but I found that to be particularly inspirational. And I actually texted Shay, who also does workshops and stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, you're not going to believe this woman. She's on stage and it's amazing. And she's <laughs> there were other sessions at the same time with like all these huge people. And I found truly and I put this on the feedback form that your workshop was my favorite of the whole two day event. So how did that come to be that you were there in the first place? Thank you for saying that, Maddie. And I, I gave a really short version of how I got there at the end, like you said. Yeah. I had an hour to do this, and I was like, by the way, here's how I got on stage. Um, but to give a little bit more detail, so last summer, sometime like in early August, Girlboss emailed me and asked if I wanted to be interviewed for the site. And I was like, how do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm not famous. I've got 200 followers. I'm not like, this is not a thing. Even though I, I was a subscriber to their newsletter, um, I was really surprised that I got, and to this day, I still have no idea how they found me. I eventually got on a phone call with a woman with, who wrote the article, and she was like, I don't know, my editor told me to contact you. And um, I was like, all right. 
So after that happened, and that became my screensaver, <laughs> I, um, I went on LinkedIn and I started requesting connections with some other leadership. And after they did that, I began to email um, a couple people in leadership once a week for about six to eight weeks. I'd have to go back. I think it was six weeks or so saying, I want to be at Boss Rally. You already put me on your website. So you, you think I'm, I've got something to say. And they kept saying like, yeah, you know, we're still working on finalizing the lineup. We'll get back to you. And I'm like, all right. Then I'd email again and add some other detail about the workshop. They'd ask me a little question like, what do you do exactly? And how long will it take? And um, while I was doing that on Instagram, I kept seeing a photo of this dress by Alice and Olivia as an ad. Like I kept seeing it. And I began to visualize myself in that dress at Girl Boss Rally. So I continued to email them. Eventually, I, my very last email to them was, if you're looking for somebody more famous, you're going to find them. I will be the least famous person speaking at your rally. I'm not an influencer, but I'm an influencer in real life. And I think women, all audiences, because I do share this with men and mixed audiences as well, but I think we need to be able to be inspired by each other's stories, the women sitting next to us not just the woman who happened to create Rent the Runway or a museum of ice cream or whatever big new thing there is. It's amazing that they've done that, but we're not all going to be that. And there are points of inspiration that we can find by the women. If we listen to the woman, the story of the woman sitting next to us or across from us. And um, that workshop gave me the opportunity to put, you know, 150, 200 women. I don't know how many women were in that room. They were lined up against the wall. It got them an opportunity to actually talk to each other, which they hadn't done in a day and a half because they were listening to panels and things. And again, be inspired by the journeys of others that aren't as glamorous or haven't ended up as glamorous as being asked to speak all over the country or what have you. So, um, but in my last email, I said, if you're looking for somebody more famous, you'll find them. And by the way, I've been picturing myself in this dress. And their response was like within an hour after that one, like, congratulations you can speak. So then I went on LinkedIn, stalked some people at Alice and Olivia and said, guess what? I'm speaking at Girl Boss Rally and I've been visualizing myself in your dress. And um, one of their marketing people said, what's your size? Oh my gosh, and I love that. <laughs> they mailed me the dress within like a week and a half. And on Instagram, there's some pictures of it. Um, and I mentioned, I said this much shorter, a much more condensed way at Girl Boss Rally back in November. But, you know, the message to people is, to me, was if you see yourself somewhere, you see yourself on that stage, you see yourself being a successful podcaster, you see yourself being a great radio host or producer or um, stylist, whatever it is, keep going and keep pursuing. They, Girl Boss wasn't telling me no, and I kept emailing them. They kept saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And like, to me, that was like, well, persistence is what they're looking for. Or I'm just, you know, you know, maybe they just really weren't sure, but I didn't get a no. And I never would have gotten a yes had I not been okay with, um, you know, the, the stalls or the, the put-offs or we'll wait and see. Can't be discouraged by that stuff. I just think people should keep going. And you never know, you can get a free dress out of it. We'll see. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. that's awesome. I forgot the part about the dress but that's awesome and I I'm always inspired by stories like that because I feel like we always hear them like I had a friend that she still works there but she um her dream was to work on SNL and she emailed them like 
obsessively for like a year. It was like a long time. And she, <laughs> it was like a bunch of different people. And finally she was like so annoying to them that one of the producers was like, if you come in and we give you an interview, will you stop emailing us? And she was like, yes. And then she went to the interview and she had like three interns with internships with them. And now she works there full time. And I always thought that was like such an incredible thing. And it's like, it kind of goes against what we're told, especially as women to like follow the rules, follow the procedure. If they tell you no once, like stop barking up that tree. But I think your story too, it's really inspirational, especially because, you know, you aren't famous and you're building this business from scratch that that's something that we could all aspire to. So I found that really great. Yeah. And like I, I said, girl, I still don't know how they found me, <laughs> but um, that relationship is now blossoming. It's oh, wonderful. Offered some free things to attendees at a workshop and I'm going to be at Girlboss Rally in uh, June, which will be in LA the last weekend in June. I'm doing it again. And Maddie, you and other people that responded on that survey and have responded on my Instagram saying they loved it. They loved my session. That's why it worked. So it's like once you do keep emailing SNL or, or harassing Girlboss, you got to step up. Like now's your chance. Yeah, you so have being to deliver. Prepared, yeah. So I was, ex- I was thrilled by that day. I was about to jump off the stage. I was so excited to be there. But it didn't matter if it didn't work for you. And to hear you say that you really enjoyed it is is my jam. Thank you. Uh, so up next, we have our second interview with Terrence Bodine. And Terrence talks about his experience uh, leaving the Mormon church as a young gay man. And I really think this is such an important story and moment and his- moment in history. And I just felt really lucky and honored that Terrence chose to share this full story with us in its entirety. Um, I know it was a, a complicated moment for him, but it's a really beautiful and a really hopeful story. Um, and one thing that really struck me is Terrence's ongoing respect for the church and for his heritage, even though they ultimately were not the right community for him. He still harbors this great respect. Uh, and that is just, I think, really powerful in the divided world that we live in today. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think the nice thing about this clip, you know, it's hard to, with a whole, you know, hour plus long story to find an isolated clip. But I thought this story kind of gives you a little taste of the struggle that Terrence went through and what he had to overcome in order to come out and leave the church ultimately. But he also goes into, like you said, the respect for his community. And I think it gives you a glimpse into who Terrence is as a person and his character. And I will say this is from This particular clip is from the second time Terrence was on. Um, He was on last year as well to kind of, you know, set the groundwork. It's more of like an introduction to Terrence. And, you know, he touched a little bit upon his um, his story. But then the second episode, he really dives into it fully. So I recommend listening to both if you haven't done so already. So without further ado, here is Terrence. So young Terrence is like, I'm not going on an effing mission trip. Right. And what happens next? Prop 8 happens. Prop 8 happens. This okay. is, so this is... And can we describe what Prop 8 is? Yes, for, people for some yes. of our younger listeners. Or older listeners. Um, so high school still. Mission's a couple years ahead. Mm-hmm. I've figured out my sexuality. I've told a very few close friends. Not 
a lot of friends. Yeah. And um, and certainly not your family or anyone no, else. No, 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 no. Yeah. And no, I don't want to go on a mission. Prop 8 happens and it's like my world kind of like is a little bit rocked. And mm-hmm. like, why is this happening? So Prop 8 is basically legislation in California to stop marriage equality and to... Def- I think it was specifically to define marriage between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. And this was especially for our younger listeners, now we're living in a world where the Supreme Court has ruled over all the states that gay marriage is legal. legal. This was at the time where you had a few states, like Massachusetts was a pioneering one, California, California. where it was like, there was a few states where it was legal, but it was not every state. Mm -hmm. It was a select few in California. And California tends to be a leader. They reversed their previous decision and they were like, marriage is now between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. Right. So, this is going on and the Mormon church kind of releases a statement in, so they read documents that are private in their Sunday services that are usually not made public. You mean like internal, like church, internal church documents. We're talking just like, we're talking just against our members. This isn't a public document usually. So they read some document aloud in church, basically encouraging members to donate funds, donate time, to call people, mm-hmm. to basically get to organized. To get it to pass Prop 8. Yes, yeah. to make Prop 8 happen. And there are, if you watch the documentary about Prop 8, there are rumors, and I've definitely heard this from friends, that bishops would um, singularly address wealthier families of the congregation mm-hmm. because you pay 10% tithe on your income. It's pretty easy to figure out who's making money right. and who's not. Yeah. So <laughs> certain bishops would singularly have one-on-one conversations with very wealthy members being like we know this is how much you make we expect you to make this kind of contribution if you want to still be a like mormon who is like in good standing has your temple recommend Mm -hmm. so there are rumors and documents of people being basically kind of threatened to make donations and if you want to you know yeah. So there's a mm-hmm. whole bunch of controversy surrounding this. Shadiness happening. Yeah. Right. They're encouraging slash telling members to act certain ways politically. Mm-hmm. Um, subtly, but it's there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bunch of buzz around it, and it just really doesn't sit, sit well with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, why are you getting involved? This is a religion. This isn't yeah. a political faction. Why is this happening? Yeah. Like, why? And at the dinner table... It's like so, so much conversations are happening about like with lesbian, your parents and stuff, family, your family. So, what would those conversations look like? Is it just, you know, like let's say, so where are you and your four siblings? You're the second, second? to the youngest. Second so I have to the two youngest. older siblings and okay. a younger sibling. So, if your younger sibling was like, "Mommy, what's a lesbian?" Like, how would that a conversation like that play out at the dinner table? Um, that conversation probably wouldn't happen necessarily, mm-hmm. just because. She probably won't even hear what that is. Okay. But yeah. Um, I don't know. That's tricky to answer. But I don't know. Are... I just remember there wasn't a whole lot of open conversation about okay. those sort of things. I just remember it was just understood. Comments like, being made. We're all, yeah. We all like Prop Eight. We're all into it. Right. And a woman. Yeah. And common understanding kind of thing. Like just a lot of ignorance surrounding homosexuality yeah. and what the that means. The pedophile thing, I think is really Telling. important mm-hmm. to talk about because that wasn't that long ago. And no. it seems like such a outdated, ignorant mm-hmm. thing to think yeah. to me. Yeah. And if that's being openly talked about and you as a child, like, picked Perceiving up on that. that. Yeah. yeah. And of course, I mean, gosh, what does that do for your own sexual development? Because right. then you become frightened that 
here you are, and Terrence, I have to say, is one of the kindest people I know who loves children and animals and would never, you know, never hurt anyone. And here I just, I just like breaks my heart. Like I almost want to cry for you thinking of like, oh my gosh, and one day am I going to wake up and want to hurt yeah. this Like you think it's friend. inevitable. Right. You know, you right. just, I mean that, I can't imagine living with that and being 12 years old, you know, like that's, yeah. it's terrifying. It makes me so sad for you. Yeah. yeah. It was, I mean, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't change my experience. Mm-hmm. I think that that's shaped me for who I am. And mm-hmm. like, I have a lot of respect for my past. I have a lot of respect for people that are still Mormon. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say that earlier, but this is kind of like focusing on my perspective mm-hmm. yeah. of the religion and my reaction. And this isn't everyone's reaction and this isn't everyone's story. So with that, I came to these conclusions mm-hmm. and this truth on my own and I have like a certain reverence yeah. for self-love. That was actually for that. some feedback that we got from your last episode. Mm-hmm. Some people had told me personally they were like one of the best things about Terrence and your previous episode was that you didn't come at it from a place of anger and you came at it from a place of respect for the life that you left and your family and your friends that are still in and even Mormons that you never came in contact with and mm-hmm. people were like, "Wow, that's really Nice. And I think it opened people up to hearing your story that might have been otherwise shut off from him because they were like, oh, well, we assume that he's going to be bigoted towards yeah. Mormons or something like that. And it wasn't that way. So I, that means a lot. Like, yeah. I definitely have feelings and re- reactions to things and like things get me angry and like upset sure. and bothered. Of course, that's not denying. Not but I do have like a certain love and appreciation for the Mormon church. And I think that it does bring a lot of people happiness and it does complete them. And like, you know, they do a lot of Mm -hmm. great things. There's a lot of humanitarian efforts and whatnot, but I think that it's incredibly important to address these conversations because if you learn from your past, right, Mm -hmm. you learn from the mistakes you've made. And one thing I noticed was there wasn't so much of an open dialogue that I noticed in my community as a kid. So I think it's important to share these sort of things now Mm -hmm. to get a conversation going, not to say this thing or organization is Mm -hmm. right or wrong. Maybe that's your response. Sure. But like, it's important to have these conversations so that you as a person can become more sure of how you view things, or you can maybe consider a different idea. So our next clip is from our episode with Emily Hudson. Emily was also a return guest um, and she also wanted to talk about her experience um, with her church and we were looking at a very different type of religious community here. This was a Christian mega church in the South Um, but we included both Emily and Terrence in our 100th episode because millennials and religion and community are these huge topics that our generation struggles with. Uh, I think Emily's story in particular was really universal and went just beyond the church Um, And it could be applied to really any community that offers one thing and then kind of doubles back on that promise with a real nasty inauthenticity. And I think that group could be religious, social, or professional. And um, it's really hard because as we talked with Jillian Richardson, who is another uh, guest, um, was another guest, if you remember her, her big thing is community and building community with millennials and how we are just dying for these communities. So when we lose a community, it's particularly hard. And um, Emily's story really illustrates that. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, we did kind of a three-part series with Terrence and Emily's episode, which you're about to hear a clip from. And then um, we didn't include a clip just for the sake of of time and everything. But the third kind of piece of that um, trilogy, as we call it, about religion was with the Reverend Aaron Beth Shank. So I recommend listening to that as well. And her story is definitely a little bit more positive than Terrence and Emily's. Um, She's a priest in the Episcopal Church. And that interview was super interesting as well, talking to a millennial who chose to go into that profession. Um, So I recommend that. But I just love Emily's story. And I think I just want to say thank you to her because you'll hear it in the clip. This was very emotional. And I think compared to Terrence, who I think had a little bit more time to process his story and to come up with, you know, really what he wanted to say before coming on, you can see that the emotions with Emily is really fresh. And she's still, you know, dealing with and processing a lot of what happened to her. And I agree with Shay, this is a much more universal story than just with megachurches, although I think my megachurches are particularly millennial and are kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing to under the guise of community and acceptance. So we kind of go through that um, in the clip as well. So without further ado, here is Emily Hudson's story. I really want to take the time to use this platform to, to yeah. talk about it. Yes, is girl. I was told that I was being held accountable. For what? Okay. <laughs> this is a phrase that is used within the Christian world that is like the worst, and I cannot stand it. Holding someone accountable absolutely 100% has to be done within the context of a loving trusted relationship. Agreed. You do not get to go to a complete stranger who you do not know and lay the hammer on them and judge them and do it in the name of I'm holding you accountable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's judgment. That's you being critical. That is you being judgy. That is not holding someone accountable, holding someone accountable is your mom, your best friend, your spouse coming to you and saying, I love you. And I know your heart and I know your character and the things that you're doing right now aren't who you are. What's going on? Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what holding someone accountable is. And so I just, it just, I just cannot it when people use that phrase as a way of making themselves making themselves feel better about judging people harshly. Oh, I'm not judging them harshly. I'm holding them accountable. Yeah. No, yeah. you're not. No, you're not. 100%. You're okay. So that's what I got instead of an apology. Yeah. No, not <laughs> well, acceptable. Good for you though for at- answering that. I think it's a sucks that it didn't work out in the end, but it's good that he asked that question. I think it's a good question, and I think it's good that you knew the answer to that question of truly what would have made it better and then not kowtowing when you didn't get it like you held firm to that value and I think a lot of people crumble under that kind of pressure so I think that's a testament to your strength of character as well (laughs) so so we left that meeting and the head pastor was like if you choose not to continue coming to this church, I will respect your decision. But I was like, what decision do I have? Like, yeah. <laughs> you just kicked me off the worship team. I'm not going to continue to come to church well, here. <laughs> yeah. And also that's like, that's not what he should have said. He should have said, even if say you weren't going to continue on the worship team, it should have been, 
even though the warship team is not the right fit for you, I really still hope to see you in these other capacities. Like the fact that he was like, yeah, like if try you choose anything not to, make to come, that's fine. You yeah. know, like that's unacceptable. And it's the same way. Like this is a real psychological thing. I can't, I was talking to someone about this in the workplace of why, um, like companies when they're going through downsizing will choose to let people go as opposed to demoting people and you know whether it's justified or not you know having something that you previously had a responsibility that you previously had in some sort of professional or quasi-professional environment once that's taken away people don't feel comfortable staying in any capacity whether it's in the workplace or in your situation as well so they're really fighting against human psychology if they thought you were going to stay. So since you've left the church, what has your spiritual journey been? um, And where do you stand now? Um, Well, I went into, I went into a pretty deep depression after that happened. Um, And It really sucked because it was like right before Easter and I hadn't not been to church on Easter in a really long time and I didn't have anywhere to go. Um, And I really haven't been back to church since. Um, But I, like I said, I was, I wasn't just raised in a religious household. I was raised in a spiritual household. So I still, I still pray every day. I still journal. I still do devotionals. I still um, listen to podcasts, you know, um, from pastors who I enjoy. And so I find I find ways to stay connected to God. I find ways, you know, to to, to stay in my Bible and to um, stay connected. I just don't want to do it within the church, like the organized. Mm-hmm. church. I um, have been to church a handful of times. I think I've been four times in um, the last year since this has happened. <sighs> and every time I just feel icky about it. Yeah. I just feel icky about it. And so like, I think that This is what is so damaging about, and maybe it's not just mega churches. Maybe it's just all organized religion. But I want to. I want to say, like, I want to speak to mega churches in particular. Is that the way that I felt when I was kicked off of the team? And you know, ultimately, I'm not going to go back there, right? So mm-hmm. it did. It definitely felt like I was kicked out of the church, not just kicked off of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you lost your spiritual home in a way that's bigger than just losing a job or losing a volunteer position right and it's like you don't because it was such a big organization it very much felt like nobody cared nobody nobody cared that I was being left behind and mm-hmm. I was being pushed out because it's so huge, right? Like that we have too many female worship leaders. Who cares if one leaves? Yeah. Like that's or one less that we have that, to worry about. To begin with, um, even uttering that sentence, there are too many female worship leaders is 
asinine. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so like one of the, the correlations that I wanted to make to Terrence's story and, and why I wanted to reach out to Shay um, about it is the thing about Terrence's story that hit me so hard and had me crying in my car was sorry (laughs) I know um if you remember the part of his story where he finally got to the person who had the documentation that he had to sign Mm -hmm. to like officially leave the church and he was like I was I was finally signing the documents that I had been desperately trying to get a hold of Mm -hmm. and he looked up and the man was crying yeah and so I was like, oh my gosh, like in his story, at least they wanted him to stay. Yeah. You know, at least there was like this feeling of loss Mm -hmm. that this man was demonstrating when he left the church. Like I didn't get any of that. Yeah. Nobody gave a shit. (laughs) Yeah. No one reached out to you after being like, hey. Nope. That's terrible. That's the worst part, I feel. All the worst parts of this story. Yeah. And it just reaffirmed that, like, I, I, my, it just reaffirmed what I had always thought. Like, I was always on the outside. I was never in the in crowd. I was never going to be a part of this community. I never fit in. And, oh, gosh, now we have this text message conversation. We finally have an excuse to get rid of her. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you mentioned, too, in your email that you felt that this whole thing really brought to light a lot of the inequalities for women in the, in this church as well. Um, yeah, that's, Oh, I feel like that's a whole nother podcast. Well, we don't have to get into all yeah, of that, no, but I think yeah, it's important it, to note. I think it is important to note because a lot of these mega churches say they're non-denominational, but they're like non-denominate. They're like, it's in disguise. Right. Yeah. So this particular church that I'm talking about is absolutely a Baptist church in disguise. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. So, you know, um, they they say we're welcoming. We're, we, we're so welcoming. Everybody come in. Their mission is to reach people and help them walk with God, right? That's, that's their big thing. They say it all the time. Reach people and help them walk with God. So let's say that you're a gay person. And you're like, this church is awesome. They're non-denominational and I get the coffee and like the worship team is awesome and like everything is so great. And I'm really connecting with this pastor and his teaching and it's helping me, you know, in my relationships and it's helping me in my life and all. And then you want to get connected, right? You want to get into a small group or you want to get married. You're not getting married here. Yeah. You're not getting a, a leadership role of any kind here. Right. So it's Uh, like they suck you in and you could be coming and attending this church for years, never really knowing their stance on being gay and getting married until you want to get involved. And then all of a sudden it's a problem Yeah, Yeah. that they never like fully disclose. It's like a false Um, sense of belonging and community just to get more people in the doors kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. And like with the with the whole women thing, like it was always it was always very sneaky, you know, like it never was like very like in your face, but stupid stuff like there would usually be two female worship leaders, one male worship leader. Right. Mm -hmm. The male worship leader always got two songs and only one female got one. 
Yeah. Right. Like it's always led by the men. And like the only time, uh, the only time I ever saw two females up there leading, it was myself and another, another girl. It was because one of the dudes in the band was getting married and nobody else was available. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we'll just put the two ladies up there. Um, women. I've never seen a woman pastor preach on a Sunday at that church. Um, they're always like special women's conferences that meet on Friday or Saturday, Mm. but like never on front and center on a Sunday, you know, like it's never, um, I don't know what the current, you know, board of directors looks like, uh, at that church, but I wouldn't be surprised for a sec if, if that it's it's a bunch of white dudes. Yeah. 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 And it's um, so ins- it's insidious because, you know, Shay and I are coming from a Catholic background and it's yeah. very in your face. You know, there's no there's no beating around the bush. There's there. no questions. Yeah, uh, no questions. <laughs> Everyone knows their place. But I think what's so appealing to bring it back to the millennial conversation of these mega churches is that they do have the guise of being very accepting and they do have the guise of yeah. everyone has mm-hmm. a place here. And their mottos say that. And you're like, oh, well, if this church has so many members, certainly there's someone that looks like me. And maybe there is, but they're never going to be part of the leadership, being part of the people that make these conversations. And it does impact the whole congregation, not just the leadership. Right. And I I hate I I kick myself now like I'm so I'm I know I'm like been crying a lot throughout this this interview, but I actually am glad that this that this happened because I don't agree with that stuff. I don't agree with it. And I never did. And I always just like turned a blind eye because I loved, I just loved leading worship. And I was just like, it's okay. Like I I really like the teaching and I really love singing and, and leading the congregation and song. So like, it's fine. Like it's fine. And now having had the experience that I've had and it just, it just makes you more sure of what you will tolerate and what you will not tolerate. And I'm like Shay said, like I'm at a place now where if I was to really seek out a church, like it's going to have to check a lot of boxes. This last and final clip, but definitely not least is from Lily Womble, also a return guest. I'm now realizing we had a lot of return guests on this kind of run through of clips, but we had Lily on previously. And then this clip is from her second um, showing where she came in a little bit before Valentine's Day. And Lily is a dating coach and um, she focuses a lot on online dating and different strategies, particularly for women to navigate um, the fraught online dating world. And she gives a lot of really good tips. And I just find Lily to be so positive and you can tell that she's gone through a journey herself of self-acceptance and things like that that just makes her such a fun and energetic person to talk to. Yeah, Lily is, you know, a fan favorite and and we just adore her. She's so well-spoken and her message, which is you have to love yourself first before you can love other people, I think is one that perennially needs to be heard. And it was certainly something that I needed to hear, although I never would have admitted it when I was in this like online dating nonsense pool, uh, because dating in the 21st century can be really demoralizing. Um, but, uh, here we are and here's Lily and we hope you enjoy this clip and her advice for, you know, how to get through Valentine's day and, uh, swipe fatigue. 
I'm curious, you know, what kind of problems are your clients bringing to you now that they're approaching Valentine's Day and people get a little anxious? Um, what's how do you work through that those anxieties around dating and the holiday with them? Yeah. So generally, my clients feel at the end of their rope with dating. And, um, you know, I have a few clients who are coming to me with like very little dating or swiping experience. And for them, the the homework and the um, the assignments and the the intentions are a little bit different. But for women who have been dating for a couple of years, um, you know, and they're sort of sick of swiping and they're sick of dating and they can't seem to find dates that are worth their time or dates that are really depleting them of their energy. Um, specifically from now until the 15th, I'm prescribing that all women stop swiping. Yes. Um, unless a random awesome date falls into your lap for some reason, I say that nothing good can come from a mediocre first date around Valentine's Day. Because mm-hmm. you're just going to compare yourself to everybody else at that restaurant. And so so comparison is really, it's really strong right now, especially for singles. And, um, and so I, I invite all single women listening, all single people listening to eliminate all forms of comparison stress in their lives until after Valentine's Day. After Valentine's Day, I'm encouraging my clients to like pick back up on one or two apps and really work with me on what strategy they can use uh, and to, to amplify their efforts and to get better matches in their inbox. I love it. Valentine's Day. I love it. Amazing. So taking a step back, because I feel like last time we had just scratched the surface of mm. dating and yes. life and all of I got these tipsy. things. You fed me wine to... beforehand and it went straight to my head and I was like, what? I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> no, it, ended, it was great. It was great. But it's also like, you know, with the segments and we're just like, who are you? What? Are, where are you from? What's going on? Um, very surface level. Um how do you feel as you've been kind of building your business and you've gotten more clients and things, what are kind of the patterns that you've seen, you've been seeing and maybe someone that is feeling at the end of their rope and they're like, I don't know if a dating coach is for me. Like, when do you think that the time to go from like doing it on your own to like dating coach is, Mm -hmm. or is it kind of the thing where everyone's like, everyone needs a therapist. Maybe everyone needs a dating coach. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Cool. So the trend, the patterns that I'm seeing are that, um, people think that dating like conventionally should be easy and that swiping because it's an app should be easy. And because all, all of our dating apps are gamified, uh, which is how they get us mm-hmm. to stay on them. Um, also, do you think there are a lot of bots? Probably. But, like, there are so many people in New York City. There's so many, you know, it's like you could swipe forever. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Pe- some of I my always clients wonder run about into, that. Yeah, some of my clients run into the same people. But there are bots, I think. I I couldn't tell you the stats on right. it. But, <laughs> um, okay, so trends. I'm seeing that people think it should be easy. And because general common wisdom is like, you have an app, it should be easy. People feel even more stress about the fact that they're single, about the fact that it's difficult. Um, I would say also because it's, quote, easy, people swipe to numb their emotional Mm -hmm. selves. 
Um, they use these dating apps without intentional effort because again, it's a game. It's an app. It's to get my mind off this awkward conversation I'm having in the elevator, or it's to, you know, occupy my mind while I'm at lunch. Um, and also, you know, who doesn't want a rush of is it dopamine? dopamine? Who doesn't want to rush yeah. of dopamine when you get a match? Yeah. That's what keeps us on those apps is those matches. And that feels like we're winning for a split second. And then we're back to, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, I haven't, I haven't met anybody worth my time, right? Okay. Those are two swiping trends that I see. And then I see um, people not really thoughtfully engaging with what it is they actually want to see across the table or on a very surface level with their friends, you talk about what you want, but with your friends, you're sort of in this feedback loop, right? Your friends give you the same advice that they gave you last week, that they gave you last year. You give them the same advice, no knocking friends, you need them, (laughs) but, but to see progress in your dating life, to think of, to, to shift your mindset and perhaps open your, open your heart to um, more abundance in your dating life. Um, well, I'm a big fan of journaling. Uh, and I also have, um, a brazen blog where every week I, uh, release a new video, uh, on just this, right? Like little, Mm -hmm. small, tangible steps that you can take week by week to uh, increase your knowledge of self and to also decrease the stress that you're feeling on apps with strategy. Mm -hmm. So let me think one thing that you can do. Okay. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, setting a swiping tipping point. Did we talk about this in the last episode? No, I don't think so. I don't think so, but I love it. Okay, cool. So once you've decided what app is best for you, which is a whole nother can of worms Mm -hmm. because all the apps are very different and some of them are better for your personality than others. Um, Okay, so swiping tipping point is that moment where you're swiping and you start to feel really icky and you don't really know why. And then most people don't recognize their swiping tipping point and they swipe through it. Mm-hmm. Not recognizing your swiping tipping point and swiping through it is like running on a sprained ankle. Mm-hmm. And when you continue to run on a sprained ankle, then you're going to sustain an injury. And that injury in your dating life is burnout, resentment, apathy, um, you know, dread, all of these things. Um, so swiping tipping point you, when you recognize, I feel icky, like pause, it's all about mindfulness and bringing mindfulness to your dating life. Pause, think about what did I just see? Like what picture of what person did I just see that triggered me? Why did that trigger me? Does he look like my ex? Does she, did she, did she say something in her profile that like, like made me feel uncomfortable? Did he, you know, it can be anything, but just becoming conscious of how, Uh, you are feeling when you're swiping past hundreds and hundreds of faces um, is really important. And bringing that awareness to your process will change your process. And putting the app down when you reach that tipping point will create a space for you to actually match with more people who are better for you in less time swiping. So -hmm. it sounds really simple, um, but I find that it's very difficult for people to do because they're anxious about it being a numbers game and they've got to swipe to as many people as possible and Mm -hmm. (laughs) all that jazz. So that was my long-winded answer to your question. 
All right. Well, there you have it. Hope that you enjoyed all of those four clips. Just gives you a little taste of what we've been up to the past year. So if you haven't checked out those episodes, definitely look through the catalog. And thank you to Olivia, Terrence, Emily, and Lily, and also all of our past guests from the last 100 episodes. I still can't believe it's been that many. I know it's been it's been quite a ride and we are here for the long haul. So you will hear more for us, more from us uh, throughout the fall and winter. And we can't wait to bring you more stories and we hope to hear yours as well. So once again, I'm going to say email us hello at campadulthood.com or check us out on the social needs, as Maddie would say, at camp underscore adulthood. Thanks, campers. Thank you. We love you. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.